Hello, Seraphim. Welcome to episode 23 of The Voice of Seraphim, recorded on Saturday, April 23rd, 2011. The Voice of Seraphim is your source for all the news and information related to Magic Online and the Seraphim Clan. Seraphim hosts a weekly tournament, monthly leagues, and other regularly scheduled events, including a cube draft. We use voice chat and have an active forum at seraphimclan.org where you can find out more about us. So, should we move on to the spoilers? Yes. Oh, heck yeah. I've got the file open in front of me. Well, a series of JPEGs I pulled off the internet, anyway. So, uh, how should we go about this? I was thinking everybody could talk about one or two cars that they're interested in, or we can go by color and just see who wants to talk about what. I would ask that if you're going to talk about a card, that you explain what it is or give me a chance to explain what it is. So maybe we should limit the card to talk about, so let's say we pick maybe a top four from each color. Just to keep people from, you know, just to, well, just to keep from going on for two hours, because there's so many cards, the entire set's spoiled, so... It's going to be whatever the first four cards that we get, you know, they get brought up, we move on to a different color. It's actually roughly more like 165 because there's uh, 10 yeah, basic lands. We never neglect the basic lands. Yeah, but there's not much to say about them. We do an art review. We do an art. They have very nice pictures. Some of the art of them is weird, though, because some of them look like the artifact lands from the very first Mirrodin block. So, uh, I guess we should begin with white. Yes. You should always begin with white. <laughs> Make me go to the end of the list. I think most of the white cards might have been spoiled. Already. Oh, here we go. There's uh, one uncommon white card that wasn't previously spoiled. <clears throat> it's called Cathedral Membrane. It's one Phyrexian white mana, one colorless mana. It's an artifact creature wall, zero three. Uh, as Defender, and when Cathedral Membrane is put into a graveyard from the battlefield during combat, it deals six damage to each creature it blocked this combat. So I guess people have been saying this is a good way to block uh, some of the Titans and kill them, although on second glance it's kind of a, not really true, because Inferno Titan can kill this thing before it can even block. Uh, Blue Titan would just lock it down. Um, I guess the only Titans that would really be killing is Primeval, but he's already done his damage, and Zombie Titan, and maybe Sun Titan. Grave Titan already released a bunch of zombies. Yeah, so. What are we talking about? No. Cathedral Membrane, it's a wall that can deal six damage to whatever killed it. Oh, yes, I saw that card. I like the art. Yes. What do you guys, sorry. What do you guys no, think of Alex Norn? Limited bomb. It's a five bomb. It's a five white white that uh, gives your creatures plus two plus two and gives all opponents creatures minus two minus two. So it's like a permanent massacre worm. Yeah, it was spoiled a couple of weeks ago. It's interesting. Um, I think it's going to see a lot of, uh, well, maybe not a lot of, but it'll definitely see some commander play. I don't think it's going to show up in constructed decks because I think seven mana is just out of the reach. Although it looks weird because a lot of the cards in this set are very high casting cost, and there are a number of spells in this deck that are seven. I don't think the Chancellor series um, will see that much play, regardless. 
because there isn't much ramp in this set, you know? I was wondering in particular about Exclusion Ritual, which is four and two white. It's an enchantment imprint when Exclusion Ritual enters the battlefield. Exile target, non-land permanent. Players can't cast spells with the same name as the exiled card. Is that just plain too expensive to be relevant? I think so. Um, see, the key, like, the thing is, though, it's like it's sort of like a card like Memoir Slide almost, where you're paying for mana and you, like, you're, you're investing certain slots in your deck to take out cards from their deck, and most decks don't have just one card that wins them the game. Um, so the you know the problem is that you know against certain decks like if you're playing Valakut and you take out their Primeval Titans, you pretty much win because there's not much they can do without their Titans. Uh, they're too slow without them. Uh, but most other decks just have so many other threats that you you know you can't you know the card just takes up space and doesn't really do much for you because they're just going to kill you anyway. Too expensive. And I would like to mention the art on Forced Worship, which I think is cool. That I like because it's a uh, pacifism that you can buy back. Yeah, it's it's nice. You know, the only downside to it is that it doesn't actually prevent like like a good I think a good pacifism prevents them from blocking and from using their activated abilities. It just keeps them from attacking. Uh, but it is nice that it's that you can move it around. To, you know, depending on you know if a new threat comes down, you can move it to a different creature if you need to by bouncing it back to your hand and recasting it. So that is pretty nice, and I think it'll see some. Definitely, definitely play unlimited. The cage of hands. It's probably enough on white. One thing that I just want to mention is, is white as a whole is that I don't know. Has anybody noticed like uh, part of the, like, one of the themes that they have for this new set is the golem theme, and uh, I think white's got some pretty good golem support cards. This set specifically has a lot of interesting golem cards in it. I'd like to see that evolve a bit more. Actually, there's only three colors that are supporting the golem theme, um, from what I noticed. Like, one of the cards here gives them plus one, plus one. Another one gives them vigilance, and I think one gives them first strike. Yeah, altogether, there's trample, vigilance, first strike, plus one, plus one, flying. Uh, green's got a regenerating one, and then that mythic legend, or that mythic 10 10 uh, monster that for five is also a golem. Yeah, so yeah, I, I think white will actually be a pretty good color for golems. Well, especially if you combine it with the golem maker from um, Mirrored Besieged. Well, for example, Blade Splicer, when it enters the battlefield, put a 3-3 colorless golem artifact creature token onto the battlefield. I think there's a green the card. I think there's a green card that does something similar. So Yeah, there's a cycle of them that are, one, that are cheap, well... They're like two or three mana to cast. They're all one ones, and they put one golem into play. And then there's another cycle that are much higher casting cost. The creature's still only a one one, but it puts two golems into play. So you think about it, like these cards are actually pretty aggressively costed. Like three mana for a one one and a three three plus some kind of other effect like first strike. That's pretty sweet. In addition, that gets you very. Wait, are, are both cards artifacts? Because if so, that's a really fast battlecraft. No, they're not making any artifacts that make golems and give golems abilities. Basically, they've got several colors that will put golem tokens into play, and then they will beef up golems in some way as well. But let's say you've got the Blade Splicer in play, which puts a 3-3 colorless golem into play, and then someone kills her. You still have your 3-3 artifact creature, but it no longer has the first strike ability it was getting from this creature. So it's kind of like a wonky sliver effect. 
wonky in the sense it doesn't protect himself. Well, in the sense, it basically would be like, this would, it, what, is what slivers would be like if slivers needed someone to drive them. Yep, exactly. That's a good analogy. I like it. Now imagining the Riptide director riding a sliver. <laughs> so, blue? Blue, blue, blue. Blue's I got like a number what, of big spells in it. I like what they did now that they're finally introducing Infect into blue. I mean, Infect himself I'm not that big a fan of, but I, I just like how they integrated it. I think the biggest game changer in blue for this set, it's nice that it's actually only going to be an uncommon, um, and I'm looking forward to my file here, is Metal Misstep. Uh, that's going to hit every format so hard, and Legacy especially, because there's so many targets that Metal Misstep can take out. So that's... Yep. That's a... It's a, a Phyrexian mana, blue, and um, it's an instant spell. You counter target spell with converted mana cost of one. Just to bring up what Phyrexian mana is, because we didn't discuss it yet, it is you either pay the color of Phyrexian mana it is, or two life. So basically every color just got a, a counter spell uh, that you can use to counter anything. Um, any number of spells in Legacy are basically a lot of linchpin spells in Legacy are one casting cost. Your Aether Vials, your Glimpse of Nature's, um, every single elf in the elf deck, uh, any number of things. So yeah, a bigger card for Legacy than Standard, but still pretty sweet that any, like almost any color you really can play uh, a counter spell. Assuming that I don't think that that many targets for one in Standard that are that relevant, but still. Yeah, it's nice. To bring back these cards for free is, and like, I guess not really free, but the fact that you can play them without having to pay mana essentially is pretty sweet. Yeah, I'd like to ask that general question: how uh, Phyrexian mana may impact standard. Um, well, there is a card, in, there is an artifact that Red has uh, that basically, <clears throat> if you cast a spell with Phyrexian mana in it. In addition to having the spell go off, you also get to deal damage equal to its converted cost to either a creature or a player. And that's pretty good. I don't know if that's going to make a standard deck or not. <clears throat> the way that this is going to impact standard is that there's a number of spells that are very specifically rooted in one color, and now other colors will be able to get access to them. Um, some of them not, uh, may not be as powerful as previous ones. Like there's a green spell in the set that's sort of like um, Fauna Shaman, but not quite. But because it's Phyrexian mana to, call, to cast and Phyrexian mana to use, that means any spell, any color can now get a a uh, fetch creature ability. And um, blue has a clone. That means anyone can get a hold of a clone. So it will, I think, impact, impact standard. It's going to be interesting to see, in my view, as to whether or not the payment of needing to pay two life is going to offset the fact that you're getting access to spells that you shouldn't have access to in those colors. I can see a bunch of people foolishly hurting themselves with, with, the, with the mana when they don't need it. Yeah, I, think that, yeah. I think for the most part, you're still going to see most of these cards played in the color of deck that they're meant to be played in. Uh, I think if decks that do play these other effects, probably going to play more like singletons of these cards, maybe one or two copies. Uh, just because of the fact that this, you know, people I think might be overestimating how good these spells are because paying two life to get a spell for free or, you know, for a having, having to play the actual color of mana still is pretty uh, a pretty high cost. They, you know, they add up over time if you have, you know, four you know, four to eight copies in your deck that can really hurt you over the long run. Well, there's also two other decks here that might be getting uh, shot up. Um, Soul Sisters was a deck last year, and it went away because it lost one of the sisters. Uh, another creature is going to be in this 
uh, expansion that has the ability to gain life whenever you cast a creature. So that could offset you using spells that have a lot of Phyrexian mana in them. Also, there's basically like another mirror universe type artifact in the set, which allows you to switch life totals with your opponent. So if you're going the suicide route, it might be that might actually be a good finisher to flip life totals and then to shoot. Wait, what card lets you switch life in standard? It's in this set. Like you know, alternate mana costs are are really great. It, it gives you versatility and flexibility in your decks, and being able to um, pay something for free, like when you're tapped out, it is a, especially something like a counterspell or, or removal is just amazing. And I think it's well worth the two life. I mean, you shouldn't overdo it, especially like depending on what what your matchups against. Like if you're playing against an aggressive deck that's already got you down to ten, you probably shouldn't be casting a bunch of these. But against you know certain other decks, you know doing this is fine. I don't think the cost is really that big of a deal. All right, so let's move to a different card. I actually have a question for you guys. So the card I'm thinking about is Phyrexian Ingester. That's a rare six and a blue, and it says imprint. When Phyrexian Ingester enters the battlefield, you may exile target non-token creature, and Phyrexian Ingester gets plus X, plus Y, where X is the exiled creature's power, and Y is its toughness. So my effect, does that mean you can exile an opponent's creature? Yes. That's why it's so high to cast. That's why it's so expensive. You can basically just pay seven mana and get rid of one of your opponent's titans, and now you've got a 9-9 dude. That's pretty sweet. Seven mana. Seven mana? Like, if you're playing limited, that's not actually that bad. Uh, Seven mana to kill your best creature and give your guy, like, a huge boost? That's pretty awesome and limited. Here's another thing to keep in mind with this guy. Um, He's a creature. He's a permanent. He's already in play. Um, This guy, I know this is a wonky... You know, magic Christmas, uh, Christmas land, but he could take out Emrakul. He can. That's true. Happen to cast an Emrakul, and you have a chance to put this guy on him. There you go. That would be a pretty sweet play. Stick him in your mimic vat and wait for him to cast Emrakul. No, well, you nice. gotta remember that most people. You gotta remember that most people that actually play Emrakul are not casting it from their hand. They're just cheating to play. Exactly. That, yeah, but wouldn't that be fun to have someone do like a? Uh, Eureka type effect, and you drop this guy. Yeah, like, like it's always fun when people play sling attack decks and they throw their Emrakul out, and then you get to play a, a, a permanent, and they're like, okay, you're going, and you go out with the O-ring. That's always fun. No, nah, the best is when they play an Emrakul and you play a Silver Temptation. Yep. But yeah, I mean, it's like you said, though, like, people cheating it into play, like, the thing is, like, if they cheat it into play, you still have at least one turn to get back at them, because, uh, they don't get the extra turn effect. Uh, another good blue spell in here, uh, although good as subjective because his casting cost is nuts, is uh, Jin Gitaxius Core Auger. He's two blue, eight colorless. He's a mythic rare, legendary creature Praetor. He's 5-4. He has flash. And at the beginning of your end step, draw seven cards. Each opponent's maximum hand size is reduced by seven. Yeah, exactly. That card is sweet. Ouch. He's expensive, but he's nuts. I don't think he can possibly get out, though, outside of the Unlimited. Um, the way that I've heard him play is he may be a target for, like, a reanimate-type deck. The other thing I was thinking of is if you play him, if you pair him up with the green ramp, uh, you've got a pretty good lock there. I mean, it pretty much ends the game if he has any person has a hand. Yeah, best thing to do is you basically cast them at the end of your opponent's turn because he has flash and make them discard their entire hand. Kind of scary. <laughs> the problem though is like if you end up do playing late game, typically you're not really going to get full value out of it because 
they're not going to have seven cards in their hand. You can still draw seven cards, and if you're drawing seven more cards than your opponent, you're probably going to win. Nice. Yeah, if you're casting at the end of their turn, they might not have seven cards in their hand, but now they really won't have seven cards in their hand. Yeah, true, true, but still, turn, what, turn ten? Still pretty late. Well, yeah, if you play it straight blue, if you pair it up with green, you can ramp it out a lot earlier. Yeah, that's also true. Do you have that one? one, uh, Doesn't it have flash? Yeah, it's got flash. Short of Feast and Famine, played on turn five. Yeah, we we had this discussion before about how you can cheat, how you can get that, that much mana out, but sort of just found. Hell, you could get him out with Omnath, um, Omnath or whatever that guy's called. Yeah. yeah. Another thing would be that 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 one green card you're talking about in this set. Look, you, you can just um, build it up over several turns, just like sacrificing the a creature with you know like a nine mana cost to get the ten one or. A, just like chain your way up to them. I think the most effective use of that. Well, I guess we'll talk about that one when we get to it. I think. Are we done with blue? Going to move on to black then? Can I, mention uh, another, can I mention another blue card? Sure. Xenograft. There's already com- um, infinite combos being made with it. When Xenograft enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. Creatures you control are that chosen type in addition to their other types. The card Turn Time Arranger from Zendikar puts a wolf into play. If you choose ally with Xenograph, it will, it will until you choose not to, keep playing more wolves. Yeah, that's pressure. He's been working on that for a long time. Yeah, I've got a... There actually was a card previously like this called um, Conspiracy. It was in Mercridian Masks, and it was reprinted in the Time Spiral block, so you can actually get it online. And I currently have an ally deck that works around getting Conspiracy in play and then playing Turn Timber Ranger and then comboing off with the, uh, the ogre that steals life or... Uh, leeches life from your opponent. Um, it's good, and you can pretty much get it off with a Genesis Wave easier because everything costs five. I don't think it's, it'll probably see some casual play in standard, but I don't think it's going to end up in tournaments just because it's too many spells that cost too much mana to fire off cons- uh, consistently. It's two five casting cost spells. Right, and it's it's two five casting cost spells, but well, maybe it'll work now that it's blue and not black and green because blue's got more digging. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It'll definitely be interesting to see it go off. Is yeah, it's pretty much combo mania because as soon as you play your wolf, you just immediately get as many allies and as big a dude as you want. Unless they all have haste, though, your opponent can still just respond with the day of judgment. If you have that, is there an ally that gives everyone haste? No. No. The only thing he really he doesn't give all of them haste. He has haste on himself, doesn't he? Yeah, I was thinking of uh, Akum Battlesinger or Tuktuk Grunts. Um, the only thing I can think of to really combo with it to win, not necessarily immediately, but at the beginning of your opponent's next turn, would be the uh, Halmar Excavator that will millstone your opponent pretty fast. Yeah, so it seems pretty good. Also, you can uh, do other interesting things with it, too, like choose golems. That way all of your guys that come into play and make golems are golems themselves. Hopefully you don't have a precursor golem and get destroyed because of it. Then don't play precursor golem. <laughs> yeah, I can see it actually being a card that you might play, like, like a gimmick card you might play in, like, limited if you have a bunch of golems. Anyway. Despise. We actually were talking about that earlier. 
Um, and what the conclusion we came to, well, first of all, Despise uh, is a black card, one mana cost, one black. Uh, target opponent reveals his or her hand, you choose a creature or a planeswalker card from it, and that player discards that card. It's a sorcery. Um, and we were, we're basically, uh, yeah, basically talking about how it would probably replace duress and standard. Well, currently they're both in standard, so now you have access to multiple one-casting cost discard spells, although Inquisition of Kozilek currently is probably better than um, duress. Even the oh, planeswalker. Yeah, so I guess, well, I guess what we were talking about is that... Uh, it probably most decks that would play this would probably do like a two-two split, or they just like play you know inclusion and this card also despise, just to be able to hit both targets. I mean, I see this as a game changer. I mean, they're both sorceries, so no harm lost. I mean, what can duress do that this card can't? Um, duress can't get rid of creatures, and this card can. Uh, but this card can't get rid of anything else other than planeswalkers, and duress can get rid of the rest of it. Is basically what it boils down to. Hmm. No, you can get rid of creatures and planeswalkers, but I must have misheard. Um, but I, I see this with Inquisition of Kozlik as redefining discard format. I mean, just discard decks. Well, especially when you pair it up with Surgical Extraction. It's like, that's a nice Jace you got there. Get rid of all of them. This, thing, this card is good because it hits pretty much everything that you would hit with, with Inquisition of Kozlik. Well, most things you would hit with it. And also, it hits things, a lot of things you would hit with duress, so it's kind of like the best of both worlds, or half of the best of both worlds. Why don't we talk about Surgical Extraction, then? Because, personally, I don't really like that card at all. Like, I don't either. I don't think every caller needed access to that. But that's... The problem I see with that is that it's, it's going to have the Jace effect. It's going to have the, um, the Skull Clamp effect, where there's no reason for you to not run this in every deck you make. Except... Which one is this one? I think that's... That's the one that they previewed. Um, it costs one black Phyrexian mana, so any deck can play it. Uh, and if you, you get to exile a card from target player's graveyard and then search their deck and hand for all other copies of that card and exile those as well. Okay, it's sort of like a, a more side. Thing. It's like another card that requires a graveyard. Well, the problem with it is it's this. You can put it in any deck and have it just sitting in your hand, and it just sits in your hand until someone does something to you that you don't like, and you say, okay, get rid of the rest of those. So if you're playing against... Um, let's say, uh, Cobblade, uh, yeah, Cobblade, and someone plays a bird, you just, okay, no, let's get rid of the, I'm going to kill the bird and get rid of the rest of them. Or if you're playing a permission deck and they, um, mana leak your spell, let them mana leak it, and then while mana leak is in the graveyard, go get rid of all the rest of them. It just, it gives every single color an instant speed effect that allows you to just not only get rid of stuff that's in your opponent's graveyard, but look at what they've got in their hand, and then look at their deck and see what it is that they're playing, which is kind of, to me, it's almost like unfair. I think I was talking about this earlier today, but I think this this uh, this block or this set specifically raises the power level of just magic in general, and that we're going to have a Mirrodin Kamigawa effect where the next set that's going to come out is going to be significantly weaker. I think that this set drastically increased the amount of power of a bunch of colors or gave powers to other colors that didn't happen before. And I think we're going to have a problem with the next set where we're going to see it as significantly weaker. Magic just keeps escalating as it goes. The sets keep getting stronger and stronger. See, I'm not sure if that's true, though, because, you know, we've had debates about power creep before, and I don't really think that we're getting, I mean, obviously, like, if you look back at some of the older sets, like, there are cards there that are truly, truly broken, like turn one, two wins, 
if you don't have, like, no matter how broken you think standard is, it's not that broken. Um, and cards, I, I think, have been really more powerful, but I think overall, like, it's still balanced. I don't think we're, I don't think we're going to have, like, this, you know, we're, this, oh, I, don't, I don't really think card is an issue. Oh, no, you misinterpret. I'm not saying it's broken. I'm saying just the general power of cards is being increased. I didn't say that was necessarily a bad thing. It was just a statement. My only real concern with this card in particular and a couple of cards in this block are um, the fact that they're they're printing must-haves. Uh, before it was, well, if you're playing blue, you want this card. If you're playing green, you want this card. It seems like they're playing a bunch of cards where it's like, are you playing magic? You need these. I don't think that Surgical Extraction, though, falls into that category. Like, I, I don't know. I just don't think, like, a, a more side effect is really that useful. Like, just look at how much, I mean, I, I know it's a bit of a different uh, card, but more side is not really being played except in block and really as a, a mainly sideboard card. Like, and I guess and we had this discussion earlier about the card Dicax mentioned. I just don't think that having a card in your deck that only answers one of their threats is really that good of an investment. See, I'm just looking at it because I, I, I don't play um, Standard as much as I play Legacy. And I'm looking at this as being the thing you play after your opponent force of wills you. Yeah. This is this card and also the um, the other blue common spell that allows you to look at your opponent's hand for one Phyrexian mana and then draw a card are both going to be, I think, included in a lot of storm builds because uh, they'll allow the storms to go off a lot more frequently if you can strip cards out of your opponent's deck that you know are going to be a problem. Or if you can look at their hand and see, okay, look, um, going to get rid of this card in your graveyard that isn't necessarily important to what I'm doing, but I need to see if you have a force of will in your hand so I can combo off now or not. Well, it only lets you look at their hand if uh, they actually have the card in there on Magic Online. Say again? You can only look at their hand if they actually have the card in there on Magic Online. No. Oh, so if, if you you can't look at their hand, if the card's not, that seems odd. That's, that's not the way it's worded, though. Yeah, if you name, like, a card they don't actually have in their hand, you don't get to look at their hand. How would you know that if you look in their hand? If it works the same as Memorialite does, when you name a card in their deck and they don't have it in their hand, you don't get to see their hand. Weird. Well, then the other spell that I was talking about is specifically just lets you look at their hand. Uh, the one Phyrexian blue mana, it's basically look at your opponent's hand and then draw a card. What do you guys think of Death's Verdict? To move on to another card, I guess. Or not. Oh, uh, let's see. Explain it. It's a new Diabolic Edict. It's two black. Uh, target player sacrifices a creature and loses one life. It's an instant and it's common. Uh, I think it's great because it's an instant and it's uh, only it's instant and it's only two casting costs. It's great. Yeah, I think it's you know obviously it's sweet and they're really I think they're really like trying to force this mono black deck to happen, aren't they? Pretty much. Yeah. They put in Life's Finale, which is the Mirror of Phyrexian Rebirth. So I see that definitely happening. Well, there's also another good um, <clears throat> black creature killer in this, because it's it's good because it's a black creature killer, and it also does more than just that, especially for playing Infect, which is a Grim Affliction, where it's one black, two colorless. Instant, put a minus one, minus one counter on target creature, then proliferate. So it basically means kill anything that's, you know, power and toughness two, or kill anything you've been whittling away with your Infect creatures, and then proliferate the hell out of stuff. Yeah, yeah. all these cards are just nuts. They're nuts. Also, Phyrexian Obliterator, probably. I, I heard it's not going to see a lot of... But if this mono-black deck is indeed coming together, it, it'll happen. I, 
think it can't help what happened with these kind of cards. I mean, just, the cards they're bringing back are just disgustingly powerful. I mean, it's clear that they're trying to make Mono Black viable. Well, especially if you think about it, and not only um, with this set anyway, where you have access to all these great Mono Black spells they're throwing in here, plus the ones they've already been printing, which Black's been getting some good cards over the last few sets. You now have access to all these other spells um, that Black didn't have access to with the Phyrexian Mana Symbols. Yep. True. Anything else from Black that we find interesting? Shielded Whispering one, perhaps? No. Well, yeah, that's actually pretty cool. It's a five black black legendary creature with Swamp Walk. At the beginning of your upkeep, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. And at the beginning of each opponent's upkeep, they must sacrifice a creature. So it's like Rhea Dawnbringer plus another effect. Yeah, it's basically Ray of Dawnbringer, but cheaper, and with more to do. And so it sounds more like a, a limited bomb than anything else. Yeah, we'll probably make Commander decks around it. Too expensive. Anything <laughs> over five or six, I'm starting to think just it doesn't work. And yeah, it's not... No, I was just going to say with Commander and playing black, you do have access to a lot of old spells that allow you to ramp out pretty good. Cobble coffers, uh, that land lets you on top of their land, stuff like that. Doubling cube. Lands that give you black man equal to the number of creatures in your graveyard. Urborg. Fun stuff. Yeah. Stuff that makes the game lag and everyone quit. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably enough for black. Yeah, let's go to red. I think that's access to some really good, interesting infect creatures, I think. Yeah. You got a fire breathing infect creature, you've got a first strike infect creature, and you've got a prodigal sorcerer infect creature. Let me name them specifically. Alright, uh, Fallen Fearomancer, one red, three colorless, infect, creature human shaman, one one. Pay one red, one colorless, and tap. Fallen Fearomancer deals one damage to target creature or player. Ogre uh, Menial, uh, zero four infect. It's an ogre. It costs three red. It has the red fire breathing ability to get plus one plus zero until end of turn. And the last one is Razor Swine, one red, two colorless, two one first strike infect. Other nice thing about all three of them is they're all common, I believe. Nope, the Fear Masters are uncommon. You know what I think is pretty cool here is this Molten Steel Dragon for four and two Phyrexian mana. That's going to see so much play. I was thinking today what deck you would drop right into, oddly enough, um, is that blue Artificer deck that uses the, um, ah, crap, I always forget his name, the guy that uh, gives all your blue creatures plus one, plus one, you can tap to a blue creature to get two colorless mana. Grand Architect. Drop a Grand Architect, next turn drop a um, Treasure Mage, Treasure, Treasure Mage to go get him, and then tap both of them to cast him uh, minus four life. I mean, it's, 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 it's cool to me. Like, what we were talking about, like, all these effects that are traditional to certain colors can be played in different colored decks. Like, like, what's more iconic of red than dragons? In fact, with any deck now can play a dragon, it's just nuts. Oh, by the way, earlier we were talking about that blue creature that seems like its casting cost is much, much, much too high to be cast in any sane format. But if you have access to two blue mana and four uh, red mana, you could probably cast them with Geosurge. Any Geosurge, it's a uncommon sorcery. Four red mana to cast. 
Add seven red mana to your mana pool. Spend this mana only to cast artifact or creature spells. Yeah, the only problem with that is that it's you wouldn't be able to do like take advantage of the flash effect of your that big card. True, but it is a way to get them out earlier. Yeah, and I think it's kind of cool that we have a new sort of ramp spell for red. Like they've been careful about printing those because they've been broken in the past. So I think this is probably a bit more fair than other ones they've printed. Yeah, Red even got access to Priest of Gix in this set, called Priest of Umberlisk. One red, two colorless, two one. Uh, when he enters the battlefield, add three red mana to your mana pool. It's Priest of Gix is a card that replaces itself in terms of mana. Cards like, um, uh, what's the green, uh, the one from Mirrodin that adds three green after you use it? It destroys an artifact. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I forget the name, though. No, Cards like Rewind and things that can untap lands or replace themselves are really good, like Palancron. Red got access to two other spells in this block that both seem interesting to me, and I'm not sure if they'll if decks will be made around them or if they just are too weird. Uh, one of them is Bludgeon Brawl, one red, two colorless enchantment. Each non-creature, non-equipment artifact is an equipment with Equip X. And equipped creature gets plus X plus zero, where X is the artifact's converted mana cost. I'm not sure if that's a good spell or not. In limited, I think you can probably end the game. In standard, it's too complicated. And you know what I'm saying? No? Yeah, the other one was a artifact I was talking about earlier called Rage Extractor, which is one Phyrexian mana and four colorless. Artifact, whenever you cast a spell with Phyrexian mana and its mana cost, Rage Extractor deals that damage, e deals damage equal to that spell's converted mana cost to target creature or player. It also gives you a bunch of cards that just sit there like Ecor Wellspring or uh, Mox Opal, Mox Opal Zero, so that wouldn't do anything, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Things like Tumble Mouth that run out of juice, you just have to use all the power, just throw it at them. One thing I noticed here was um, Whip Flare. The fact that they got a new uh, pyroclasm. Oh yeah, that was interesting. Hmm. Volt charge also was cool. It deals three damage, then pro proliferates. So red's not quite as awesome as black, but it's got a few cool cards. I think you got the best um, infect creatures in in this expansion, though. Well, of course, it's the Phyrexian heavy expansion. Mirrodin, uh, Scars was supposed to be very Mirrodin heavy. Besiege was supposed to be relatively even, and this is supposed to be the Phyrexian domination. If you just look at the sheer cards that are have Phyrexian symbols to Mirrodin, it's like 4 to 1, if not more. It's actually 90% Phyrexian, 10% uh, Mirrodin from what okay, we're doing. 10 to 1. Alright, I guess we move on to green then. Let's let's start with Beast Within because it's got so much hype. Yeah, it's the new uh, Terminate. It's also so doing something in green that you don't see very often. Yeah, we've been discussing that on the forums actually, uh, going back and forth about whether or not it's overpowered or or what have you. And Plague Dogma was the one that brought up that he the fact that he doesn't think that this effect belongs to green. I understand where he's coming from with this, but it's. It sort of does, because green has in the past gotten things that allowed you to destroy creatures, but only if you give them a creature. And that's kind of what this is doing. What about Pongify? That, that's a similar ability for blue. Was that considered the same thing? I mean, the closest example 
that does this exact thing would be terastodon. Yep. But then again, when you consider that, like that's a very powerful ability, and it's costed appropriately. The fact that you can do this same effect for three mana seems powerful to me, like too powerful almost. Yeah, but terastodon was a lot of mana to do it three times, so I guess their idea is that if you chop terastodon into three pieces, then the casting cost would only be three. I just gotta say this, I'm just glad they printed this in Uncommon and not Rare or Mythic. You think it would be Rare or Mythic? I wouldn't go past them. I'm not saying it's... I'm saying, if you're gonna ask me, I say every card in Magic's history should be common. I don't think people should, should be denied access to cards just because they're expensive. If you want the game to be played as a game and not as a uh, Pokemon. Yeah, well, the problem with that, like, I agree, that would be nice. The problem with that is that it limited would be impossible. And I understand that. It's just one of those things where it's like they're just, they, also limited didn't exist before. Limited existed far, far, uh, let me collect my thoughts. Limited existed long after Magic first started, so... That was, in my opinion, introduced to try and essentially sell more packs. I mean, it is fun. It is cool. But I think, I don't think the rarity adds to the game aspect of the game uh, as much as it adds, adds to the collectible aspect of the game. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's very true. And I think probably, though, as Magic players, we often forget that there are, are people that are collectors and traders of the game. That would, you know, that, that kind of, you know, making everything common would just sort of invalidate a huge segment of uh, Magic community, people that actually do collect the cards and trade the cards and make a living off, you know, just not really playing the cards, but just getting them. Oh, no, I understand. It's just one of those things that uh, I've never quite seen eye to eye on that. But and I am always appreciative whenever they print spells that are good, like really, really good at a, the uncommon slot. And the closest right. thing I can think that, like, as an example, Disrupt to Prism for uh, a memorable that they printed that as a rare would be like Maelstrom Pulse. Desert Twister. I like how they. All, I also like how they printed to go off another subject. They reprinted a Hurricane, but for any color. Oh yeah, Phyrexian Hurricane. Corrosive Gale. It, it, I think this will probably replace Hurricane in the cube. Oh, uh, getting back to a card that we were talking about earlier, uh, but just to name it, and I'll try and get through all this text as quickly as possible. So bear with me if I sound like the Micro Machines guy. Birthing Pod, one Phyrexian green mana, three colorless, artifact, rare. Pay one Phyrexian green, one colorless, and tap. Sacrifice a creature, search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost equal to one, plus the sacrifice creature's converted mana cost. Put that card onto the battlefield and shuffle your library. Activate this ability only at, at any time you could cast a sorcery. Um, Is it exactly that or that under? It has to be exactly that. So if you... If you blow up a two-casting cost creature, you have to go get a three-casting cost creature. And I know it's not as virtual as uh, versatile as Fauna Shaman, but again, look at it this way. You're getting access to this with every color, and you can build around it effectively because they are going directly into onto the battlefield and not into your hand. So you could do a building-type deck where you have cards in your deck that cost two that do something good, and then the next one costs three that does something good, the next one costs four. Basically, you want them all to have good enter-the-battlefield effects. Yeah, like, the, the best thing that I can see would be, like, if you had cards that had both, like, enter the battlefield and leave the battlefield effects, sort of like the evoke creatures from Lorwyn or, like, the vanishing creatures from uh, Times like, time Spiral Block. Like, you just bring in those creatures, like, with this deck, you get their effect, 
when they come into the battlefield, you sacrifice and get the next card, have the effect from that, and just, you know, like, practically, like, chain up until you finally, you know, reach some kind of creature where, you know, you just win the game. The other thing this combos well with, and I don't remember the name of the spell offhand, but I know that there is a blue enchantment that allows you to, I think it allows you to tap one of your creatures to untap something else. And so what you could do is have that creature come into play, have its enter to the battlefield effect go off, and then use it to untap the birthing pod and have it go off again. Because you're only paying one colorless mana and Phyrexian mana. And if all of your creatures came into the battlefield and either did damage or did something wonky to the game, you could have a really quick way of just burning through your deck and getting a bunch of guys out. Yeah, exactly. This is the blue card in Scars, right? The flying 1-3 that whenever an artifact enters the battlefield, you can untap target artifact or creature. There you go. So if you had a bunch of artifacts to bring out, you could just chain that way. And then have the last guy you bring out, that uh, 10 casting cost 5-4 guy that makes your opponent discard his hand. Or enough chain up to maybe less ambitious, but... More practical, probably, maybe like a mirror battle spear, spear or a worm coil, or I don't know. I guess you could even be like, if you had enough stuff, enough life, just chain up to a a blight steel colossus. Hey man, I want to chain all the way up to Emrakul and swing. <laughs> all right. Uh, how about Mera? Best thing of her. Uh, I think she's going to be a really, really, really fun card to put in everyone's sideboard. I agree. Who's that? Who's that? Melora Silvok Outcast. It's a 2-2 for one green legendary creature. You cannot get poison counters. Creatures you control cannot have minus one, minus one counters placed on them. Creatures your opponents control lose infect. So the thing here, though, to, so when the card comes into play, you still keep all the poison counters you already have, correct? Yes, but you yes. not get more. So basically, if you're at nine, if you have nine poison counters and you play her, the person has to hit you for twenty damage. So he has to hit you again with the with his infect creatures twice, as much as you would have to before. If you play it at the right time, you can extend your life by two thirds. Basically, she's printed to say you cannot kill me unless you have a doom blade or something similar. Did we talk about Erexian on life when we were in white? By chance? Um. No, we skipped over that, and uh, I don't know. I think that she com- she combos well with that to make it so that you cannot die unless they get rid of one or the other. Exactly. That's what I was thinking of as a good combo deck. I mean, if you put Phyrexian Life and Melora out, you can't get poison counters, and after you hit zero, you have to be given poison counters. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's it seems to me like it wouldn't be that great of a combo, just because of the fact that maybe you can't maybe you can't lose when they're both out, but it just seems like it's so easy to kill one or both. You know, the the two two creature that's easy to kill, and the other guy thing is an artifact, right? So there's just so much artifact removal around, so you need to have both of them to stick on the field. Like imagine playing like Wait, uh, neither, an artifact. neither is an artifact. One is a creature, one is an enchantment. Okay, well, still, there's so much removal running around to take care of both of those. In limited late game, if you get both of these, you've won. If you can get these in a sealed event or anything like that, you've won the sealed event. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I see that. I don't know. I'm looking forward to getting this card. Very much so. 
I don't see how you can say that, though. I mean, think about all the burn that's in Limited and all, like, the spread of the sickness, the go for the throats, the... Yes, but, everything. Have, but you can use other things to block it. These cards don't have to be played the second you get them. They can be played right on the cusp of defeat after they've used their burn, after they've used the cards they think they would have to. I mean, but just think about playing, like, M10 or something, or M11, when you, like, let me be opened up a pool with, like, Platinum Angel or something. Like, some decks couldn't deal with that, and you just won because it couldn't kill you. But, you know, it's not a guarantee that you're going to win just because you have a card that says you can't kill me. All right. On the other side of the fence, we have Triumph of the Hordes, which is the Infect Overrun, which is pretty freaking sweet. Two green, two colorless, sorcery until end of turn. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one, and gain Trample and Infect. It's an uncommon. What do you guys think of that one? Like, in fact, needed any help to be overpowered. Yeah. Oh, no, no, I'm not, I'm, not thinking of, I'm not thinking of that in an infect deck. I'm thinking of that in a green elf deck. This is another overwhelming stampede. Yes, but an overwhelming stampede that only requires you to hit your opponent for 10. Yeah, it's cool. It can end most games. Yep. There's a lot of very interesting stuff here. I don't know. I feel like you've got the right rare uncommon. You've won the game. You, you haven't won the game, but you have a very easy game finisher. It's kind of every format, though. Eh, I guess you're right. Did you open a Baneslayer? Yes. Your chances are good. <laughs> so do you guys think uh, Infect is a viable Tier 1 strategy with this? No. Yes. Um, maybe. It's one of those things that I don't... I think people might be going about Infect the wrong way. Um, I don't think the idea of getting... Because the idea with Infect is that your opponent's life total is now 10, so most people are trying to figure out a way to hit your opponent as quickly as possible and as fast as possible, as opposed to just realizing, I only have to get him to 10. I don't have to do it immediately. I can throw my creatures at the wall and watch the wall fall down. Um... I saw someone so, trying to use things like Oranarlid with uh, Phyresis to punch through a line of small creatures. It was interesting. Because or, 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 it'd be a perfect delivery system if you get it high enough. You got it to 10 and exactly just punch through and kill person instantly. If I was going to look at a deck to look at maybe the future of Infect, I'd definitely look at Brian Kibler's deck that he's been doing. Kind of almost, I think he's got the top eight in a one of the Star City Games things, and his deck plays out, like perhaps you were saying, more like a control deck than like an aggro effect. That, you know, like you said, you have plenty of time to get those counters on there. You just need to plan your, you know, be able to control the game enough the way when you actually do have your big infect creatures out, you can get through. Um, I actually have a standard deck that I've been working on for the past couple of weeks, and I actually played it tonight in our standard tournament, but I, I had such horrible mana draws. Um, but the deck relies on just attacking you, and you're eventually going to block because you don't want to get poisoned to death, and I'll chew down your creatures, and eventually my creatures will die probably sooner than yours will, but the card that I pack in my deck, because it's black and, and green, is Glissa, and Glissa allows me to, once your creatures finally die, or you decide to attack into a Glissa, I can pull, pretty much pull all of my artifact, infect creatures back out of the graveyard and recast them, and just keep, just keep overwhelming you over and over again, and it gives you some card advantage, and you have, again, you just have a smaller life total to deal with. And not only that, but all of your creatures just whittle your opponent's creatures down over time. All right, cool. Can I bring oh. up the Praetor? I said before how you didn't like the Praetor. 
but I like the green one, actually. The six green green legendary creature Praetor Vorclex Voice of Hunger. It has seven six trample and it whenever you tap a land you add another of that produced and whenever an opponent taps a land it doesn't untap till the next end step. It's eight to get out, but I think that I don't know, I, I like this one as opposed to the other Praetors. Yeah, he's eight. He's in the he's in the right color because you can ramp him up with green. Um and he is a seven six trampler, which is nice too. I think what's also nice is that he's got sort of a more permanent board impact than the other ones. For instance, like, if you play this guy, and even if he gets killed the very next turn, you'll still have to tap mana in order to kill him, so at least you'll, you know, you'll have a turn at least to get something else out. There's a hole in their mana for a while. Cool. A lacuna. Um, did you guys talk about Urabask? The Hidden? What is that? Urabask the Hidden. Three and two red. Three and two red. Four four. Three and two red. Four four. Three and two red. Four four. Urbrass the hidden legendary creature Praetor. Four four. Creatures you control have haste. Creatures your opponents control enter the battlefield tap. I think the only reason we didn't mention him is he was spoiled uh, in the Japanese. Oh. I like him. Also. He's like a fro he does a semi frozen aether and gives you haste. It's interesting. Frozen aether for those that don't know, it makes artifacts, creatures, and lands enter tapped. Well this just does creatures. Yeah, he's good. He's pretty sweet. Yeah, I always remember the uh the white spell enchantment from Legends that did that, and I'm actually blanking on the name of it. It's an enchantment. Well, we can move on to artifacts. Um, I believe we already... I think the one to talk about here is Batterskull. Yeah, that's a second. And amazing and awesome, and I want eight of them. It's disgusting. Batterskull. Five casting cost, artifact equipment, living weapon, which means it puts a germ token and becomes the germ token. Uh, Equipped creature gets plus four, plus four, and has vigilance and lifelink. Its equipped cost is five. You can also pay three colorless mana to turn the battle skull to your its owner's hand. Someone to destroy it, you return to your hand and replay it next turn. Or you can equip it to a big card that's flying and swing for however much you have. It, it it makes I don't know. It's just awesome and sick, and it's the best living weapon so far, obviously. What's to nice me, is so that like it's especially with Stoneforge Mystic. It's like because the thing has living weapon, it's like Stoneforge Mystic can now tutor up creatures. And the effect, it's like, put it on a Squadron Hawk, and it's like having a Baneslayer Angel. Well, here's the thing. His equip cost is five, so that's kind of pricey. But the thing that I'm seeing is that he makes your Stoneforge Mystics more useful. Because you'll tutor him up with a Stoneforge Mystic. The next turn, you're going to pay two mana to throw him into play. At any time, you can pay three mana to put him back into your hand, and then tap the Stoneforge Mystic, pay two to throw him back into play again as, as a fast effect. So Stoneforge Mystic basically says tap, pay two mana to throw a 4-4 lifelink vigilance creature into play as a blocker. Yeah, so Stoneforge Mystic, don't expect that to go away. No, don't expect the price not to go down. At least until it rotates. Alright, how about Cage Sun? It's a better gaunt it's a better gauntlet of power. It is six. It is a rare artifact. When Cage Sun comes into the enters the battlefield, you must choose a color. Creatures of that chosen color get plus one, plus one. Whenever you tap any land you will have for mana, add one more of the chosen color to your mana pool. Now, this is better than 
Gauntlet of Power for one reason. It's because Gauntlet of Power, say you choose blue, only islands would tap for double. If you're playing colors and you play Cage Sun and you choose blue, all of your lands will not only tap for their own color, but add a blue man to it. So if you have forests, they'll tap one green, one blue. Uh, plains, one white, one blue. So this doubles your mana, no matter what colors you're playing. I think it's a casual card, though. It's not... I really wanted that artifact to be uh, really, really, really awesome, just because initially when they spoiled the art, I think that, that picture is amazing. And it's good for Commander. It only affects you, a lot of power and things like that. I've in Commander a lot, I bet. Another artifact that was spoiled is Etched Monstrosity. It goes in with the Golem cycle because it is an artifact creature Golem. It is a 5 casting cost 10-10 creature that enters the battlefield with 5 minus 1 minus 1 counters on it. You may pay one mana of each color, so you have to pay all five colors of mana to remove five of the minus one, minus one counters, meaning all of it. From that monstrosity, target player draws three cards. Um, I think that's very good. Uh, it's, it'll go in that golem deck kind of nicely. Um, I also think that it's interesting that it doesn't just say remove all counters from it. So in, let's say you get them out in a long game. This is kind of goofy to think about because normally you would have won by now, but... Let's just think about this for a second. If he comes into play with five minus one minus one counters on it, if you're proliferating, you can just add an extra counter to him. Then take all of the counters off from to draw, or all five of the counters off from to draw the cards. And now he still has counters on them. So if he starts getting whittled down again, you can just pay five to draw more cards. He doesn't even have to have the counters to use the ability, I'm sure. If you just need extra cards for some reason, as if the 10 10 isn't enough, you can just use the ability again and draw three more. No, actually he does, because if you look at the way that the uh, card's templated, Removing five minus one minus one counters is part of the cost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it does combo with Black Sun Zenith. Yeah, if somebody just happens to, let's say you take all the counters off of them and they start whittling them back down, when he finally gets back down to five, you just pay five again, draw three more cards, and just zoom them back up to ten. So, is anybody, like, kind of laughing at a Darksteel Relic? Yes. There's some people that that like that for some reason. Um, I think that's terrible, though. I, I think that it's going to be the last card to be passed around the table in a draft for certain. I mean, all thing I can think of is that it's good for affinity-type decks, like Metalcraft-type decks that really, I guess, not really in standard, but for, like, I don't know. It's not it's good on Legacy either. There's better zero-cast-to-cost artifacts you'd rather have. Yeah. There's a zero-cast-to-cost artifact that allows you to sack it to regenerate a artifact creature, that's better than this, and no one even plays that anymore. Yeah, definitely. And I guess the only other thing I think it would be like, if you had this in a Tesseret deck, having a 5-5 Indestructible Relic would be interesting, but yeah, the, the card is pretty much useless. The picture on the card makes me laugh, too, because of how useless the card is. It looks like the um, the kid from Oliver asking for more soup. Are you guys seeing pictures? Because I don't know how to get to them anymore. I saw them the first time I was here, but now when I click on the name, I don't get a picture. Oh, I downloaded a um, all the JPEGs when I when they went up to my hard drive, so I don't know where they would be at this point. I think they removed them all. <clears throat> they might have. They did. Um, another interesting card coming out of this is... Uh... I'm sorry. If you follow the link in the show notes, you can see the pictures. Visual spoiler. From draftmagic.com. <laughs> Still up. Another card that looks interesting is Isolation Cell. Forecasting cost artifact, uncommon. 
Whenever an opponent casts a creature spell, that player loses two life unless they pay two colorless mana. That's an interesting I, card. I don't see it getting a lot of play. I don't think the ability is, for, is uh, strong enough. If it was three life, I'd say yes. It's two life, yeah. What about Mere Superion? That, that's just amazing. That makes him decks amazing. You, te- you get a Palladium Mirror or two Mana Mirror out, and then you have 5-6, uh, I believe is what it is, on turn 3. I'm just thinking you're casting him with two Landmore Elves. Or the uh, Green Walls. Oh, no, actually, you, you can get him out on turn 2. First turn, drop a Yorga Tree Speaker. That's the guy that you can that levels up, right? You drop your level up guy. Turn 2, you pay 2 mana to level him up, and then you tap him to get two color, two Green Mana to then cast this guy. It's sick. You can play the. If you, this is going to have no use in um uh, in limited, but I can see an enormous amount of constructed play with it. So, what do you guys think about this shrine cycle? Some of them are interesting. Some of them are crap. Um, they're all weird because they give again. They give you the ability to do interesting things, uh, and if you're playing the color that they're aligned with, then you can do better versions of the interesting things. And plus, you've got on something you can proliferate. They seem like worse Trigons. They're Trigons in reverse. Trigons, you can only use them a set number of times before they're useless and you have to start charging them up. And to be honest, I don't know anyone that actually recharges a Trigon. Um, but they do allow you to do some things that are interesting. Um, I think Trigons are worth recharging, like the black one, for sure. But yeah, I see what you mean. The Shrine of Boundless Growth is very interesting because, uh, you know, green didn't necessarily need a lot of more ramp, but other colors don't mind having it. Piercing Vision is crap. Oh, uh, yeah, digging through. Basically, a crappy Aladdin's Lamp is never good. Shrine of Burning Rage, Burning Rage is good because it allows you to proliferate to eventually deal damage with your proliferation. Uh, Shrine of Limitless's power would be better if it wasn't so overcosted to the point that by the time you'd use it, they're probably only got one or two cards left anyway. Loyal Legions is a little interesting. I, I don't think that'll get some play, but not really a lot. Um, what that's good for is uh, in response to someone about to overwhelm you. Or, or wipe. Yeah, or it's good to, oh, I finally cast my um, enchantment that gives all my creature, all my artifact creatures plus two, plus two, and at the end of my opponent's turn, I'll sack this thing and get a bunch of dudes to swing with. I mean, I think it's possible there might be some kind of white token deck with, like, Elspeth Terrell in it. Yeah, good point. I built a, I built a core token deck with, no, with uh, using Nomad display. This could go very well in it. I don't think any of them, by any stretch of the imagination, are going to see competitive constructed play, but they are fun. No, not at all. Sword of War and Peace. Yeah, let's just just finish off with Sword of War and Peace. Sounds good. Um, The interesting thing about that is I I think it's it's good. I'm not going to say it's not good. It is is good. The colors alone make it good. But the problem with it is is that it's not as exciting as any of the other ones. And that's saying something because every single one of these swords has done something different. Like the white and black one gave you life gain and a logical resurrect creature. The Red and blue one allowed you to deal damage and draw a card. And all this really seems to be doing is the same thing that the white portion and the um, red portions of those swords did. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, we we talked about this a lot in our last podcast, and like we like we almost like like conclu- like conclusively said the two abilities that are not going to be are life gain and damage. Uh-huh. No, but to you, what event said is that really it's like a birthday present you wanted for like months and you thought about it and then got it and it was like utter crap. Now that all being said, it's still really, really good. Um, it's really good uh, in the Callblade matchup because it allows you to, if you're doing a mirror match, you're, you can pretty much skirt by your opponent's dudes and uh, hit him in the face. And if he's playing Callblade, then that means he's going to be having quite a number of cards in his hand. Uh, it's very good to throw onto a double strike creature to get double the life and double the damage into your opponent's face. Um, it's and of course, you know, protection from lightning bolts and from you know path to exiles type effects is always good. And protection from two removal set. I think one thing about the sword is just, just so sad is that people are like we're talking about it, like how the, the pro white and the pro red is so amazing that like the earth that could literally have like no ability and still be good. And I just feel like that's almost what they kind of did like. I know that the life gain and the damage is still sweet. I mean, there's no denying that it's good, but I guess, like, compared to the other swords, like, this is a huge letdown. It almost just seems like they gave up, because there was all those um, uh, rumors that I remember reading where they said some of the designers had leaked out different ideas that they were coming up with for these swords, and every time they tried beta testing them, it seemed like it was too overpowered. And it almost seems like they just kind of said, uh, forget it, we got to get this out. Just, just put this on there and ship it. I don't care anymore. I mean, they had years to do that, though. I mean, I just feel like the name is lame, sort of War and Peace, really, and that these abilities just are just so iconic of the two colors. That it's just obvious that people had dismissed these two abilities, like, months and months ago as being just the worst possible abilities that could be put on the sword because they were already, like you said, already been used in the previous swords. And, I don't know, I just feel like, you know, like it was a cop-out, like you said, like a, a complete cop-out. Like, we already have these really awesome sets of swords, and you guys should just be happy that you had the last one. Much. Months and months of hype and stress and arguing wasted. <laughs> we, have uh, to use our, we have to use our arguments wisely. It's still pre-ordering $25. Is it really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, Seems a little pricey. Uh, pre-orders always do. Uh, especially if it's something that gets built up. Um, like, all Planeswalkers at this point are going to pre-order for a lot of money because of Jace. And all Swords <clears throat> are pre-ordering for as high as they are because of the last bunch. Yeah, that's why I wouldn't pre-order any of those cards. Yeah, but you never know what's going to happen with the prices. I mean, I <clears throat> I don't have my uh, standard Swords anymore. I, I kept the ones from the original Mirrodin block and actually traded off my other ones. But when I did, I ended up trading off the Sword of Feast and Famine for more than double than I got that I paid for it. Oh, no, they'll all go in time. I have no doubt of that. Well, I mean, like, except there is no telling about prices, but, like, I mean, you could just say, like, since I don't know what the prices are going to be, I could just I should just buy for the entire set right the, like the day it comes out and just go with it, you know? But I just feel like you can't count on, you know, because, like you said, the, the prices are artificially high because of cards like Jace, the Mind Sculptor, and that's an anomaly. Like, not all print blockers are going to be that expensive. Like, if you had bought, like, the a four, like a full set of Tezzerites for 50 each, you're feeling pretty dumb right now, because they're, like, 20, 28. I think Karn's going to be, like, when I get out. Karn's going to be expensive. I'm kind of curious about him. I think he is going to be expensive, because a lot of people are going to try and shoehorn him into their decks. Well, 
a lot of the spells in this set are expensive. Uh, a lot of people can try and shoot on a lot of stuff and see how it goes. It really just depends on where the format goes. What this set is, it's 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 bleeding colors into other colors. I think Karns being colorless is perfect for the set because it emphasizes that you can use this anywhere. The one thing I came up with today, because I was thinking it over as I was playing a Commander game, is that they better ban him from Commander. Yeah. Oh, God, you're going to redo a Commander game? Well, the problem with that is, and this is the reason why, I don't think it's, I don't think it's one of those things like, oh, my God, he's too powerful for Commander. The logistics of especially online play with, um, let's say someone gets Karn to his level 3 and fires it off. Well, the two people that already got kicked out of the game are probably not even in the client anymore. So that means when the game restarts that you're going to have to wait 10 minutes for those car- for those people to time out in order to play the game. Yeah, and it's one of those things that it, it would just ta- I think it would just cause too much chaos in the online environment. As it is when I'm playing a commander game and I get eliminated, I don't really want to go back to the game unless it's when I'm playing with people that I know. And, <clears throat> well, that's theoretically that's what it would do if you think about it, because <clears throat> it's restarting the game. If you restart a multiplayer game, if you want to bring the game back to its original state, then everyone that was in that game needs to be brought back in. I wouldn't want to use. Uh, also, here's a problem with that. Say you eliminate a card with the card, like you exile stuff. When they disappear, those exile cards you won't get. When that person dies, you won't get those exile cards once you come back. I think Karn's actually going to be played a lot, but his, his last ability will go off. I think that just the exiling permanence will be used a lot. Well, I think if they somehow manage to get him online and he actually works in any form, you might see a lot of people just quit when his ultimate goes off because it's not like playing anymore. He's just a weird card that does something that I didn't think that they were ever going to print on a card again. He does something goofy, so it's cool and it's an experiment, and you know what? I'm going to look forward to it. Uh, I don't know. I think... I don't know. Yeah, but they did these abilities in the past. They did it on Sherazad, and people that played against it didn't like it. Apparently games, like, took about eight hours to finish. <laughs> well, the thing is, you can always continue. Go ahead. I, just, I was going to say, I think the thing with Karn is kind of like what we were talking about with the, um, like, the uh, the new sword, is the fact that, like, you have this Planeswalker who's an artifact, and an artifact set, and you go this hype so about what, what, what Karn going to do, and none of his abilities at all have anything to do with artifacts. You would think, like, the creator of the Mirren plane would have something more dramatic to do than, what, exile permanence. Well, I can sort of see where they were going with it, because if you look at it storyline-wise, um, he is restarting the world, and he's they're doing that mechanically by having you restart the game. So, mechanic-wise, it is interesting. I'm just saying, actual play-wise, it's not. <laughs> uh, Karn also is not technically an artifact. He's just a planeswalker. You can't use the naturalize on him and kill him. Right, and that's the reason why they didn't make him an artifact planeswalker, because they didn't want to deal with the logistics of that. No, it would balance a little, wouldn't it? Well, I didn't mean he was actually an artifact creature type, but he is an artifact storyline-wise. He's made of silver. Well, that, and yes, he is responsible for the mirror plane being brought into existence in the first place. Um, anyway, I just felt like his abilities could have been so much more creative. Like, his abilities, like, the first two abilities essentially do the same thing, just different ways of selling a, you know, a, a permanent. Well... Now that we've discussed all the spoilers, the only other thing to say about all this is that it really kind of, it's very cool that we got to see these as early as we did. It really, really sucks for Wizards that we got to see these as early as we did. Someone's so kind of fired for this. 
No, it's not that. Well, there's any number of rumors. There's no point in talking about that here on the podcast, but this pretty much shoots their entire month of um, leaking out spoilers in the way that they wanted to with all of the company, all the like magazines and websites that they had deals with. Pretty much shoots all of that. Yeah, spoiler. it kind of sucks for and, those websites. Well, yes and no. Those websites are probably still going to get their spoilers leaked out to them when they were supposed to because the real, realistically, and I think they've actually said this before in an article, the only way that they can deal with this is by saying, leak? What leak? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and also, I think it also ruins it for the players just because, I don't know, I, I know that I definitely look forward to the spoiler season just to, you know, to hear from the developers themselves, you know, about the cards and what they intended them to be and just what their impressions of it are as opposed to, like, all this speculation that we have going on about, you know, all, all, all things we can do. And I know, I know some of the pros have been talking about, it, like, it's, it's kind of disappointing that, you know, on, like, pre-release weekends or, like, new formats, you know, typically you only have, like, maybe a few weeks to prepare for those kind of tournaments, so the format still seems fresh, but now they're going to have, like, you know, at least a month in advance to prepare for all these events, and they're just going to seem kind of, when the set releases are just going to seem old. It's going to seem outdated. We're not already not going to be impressed anymore. The other thing is that I... I visit uh, Magic Salvation pretty frequently, and uh, the main draw for that website is the spoiler section. <clears throat> and I was checking that pretty regularly, because every day you'd get like a ton of posts of people either saying, I think this is what this is going to be, or I think this is what that's going to be, or I've got like a new bit of information. And it was almost, it was really strange to go in there the day that the whole thing was dropped, because there was about two new threads that day. There was the thread about the Godbook being leaked, there was a thread about the spoilers, and then there was like one other thread. And I think since then, and that was like, what, Monday or Tuesday, there's been like two new threads in the entire, and it's like, it's weird to see that whole entire form just kind of high. Because now no one can get flooded. Well, I mean, they they did get flooded the the day that that, it went up, and there's a lot lot of responses to the thread that has Phyrexian spoilers in it, but there's not been very many new posts there. I think it's kind of it's just sad though that like at least that's been done for years and that it's the they don't they get leaked a few months before they come out. I mean, it just seems like you know they're going to be an asshole and leak all these sets. Why not just give us everything? Why you know why spoil this part and not everything else? Spoil all of Instrad already. <laughs> well, it's because this was actually. I mean, do you know the the how this was done? I guess. No. Um, I forget who it is. Somebody in the clan uh, knows more about this than I I do, so I apologize if I'm misquoting. But the guidebook is something that is put together to send off to third parties to look over the set and see what they think about it. Um, it's done somewhat around this time uh, to get an idea for what they should expect from the player base. Uh, it's not that this was information that was leaked from Wizards. This was actually information that was stolen from Wizards. Um, and so this was not meant to get into anybody's hands until it was sort of originally planned to be into somebody's hands. So even though they have only all these sets planned out and done, I mean, Innistrad's probably done by now, um, it's not that they have all this sitting somewhere and someone that stole it only stole this. Uh, someone that stole stuff off of the server stole this because that's what was there. Bummer. But it stinks. I just wonder who they thought they were helping out, because they didn't help out any of us. <laughs> uh, it's one of those things where it's you, you get that a lot, like in hacker communities, where it's not so much that they're hacking the game, 
to give it away for free. They're hacking the game to be the first group that hacked the game. Think this will change how they're doing spoilers? Well, I don't know. They've had bumps like this off and on. Um, people like to say, like, oh, this happens so rare, and it does, but, I mean, the last time this happened was during um, the Alara block with some stuff from Complex being leaked out. Before that, it was the Time Spiral block. And long before that, it was actually the first expansion. Yeah, Judgment, which went live online. They tried to do this thing where they had the expansions go into MTGO at the same time that they would go live uh, at pre-release, except the problem with that is, is that in order for that to happen, you have to preload all this information into people's computers and people figure out a way to get in there and look and see what cards What if there. the real set is mirrored and pure? That would actually, be awesome. Yeah, you know what's funny? I was actually thinking that they're going to pull a Shadow More lore one with this and they revealed this one early only to surprise us the day before with an entire mirror set. Like having both not one of them. I don't know how they That would cause me literally to like worship the, the, <laughs> the, 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 the Wizards of the Coast. I would build a shrine, like, from <laughs> Arnold, with just, like, light incense to it every night. That'd be pretty hard to pull off, but... Well, spoiler season did start in April, so maybe it's just going to be one big long month of April Fools. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not, I'm not, I think it's more likely that there... We saw actual cards in these. So I think that what they're going to do is they're going to... Well, I, I, this is one of my hopes. That, uh, that, like, a week or two from now, they're going to find out that it's not just that. They're also releasing a second set, Mirror and Pure. I think it would be funnier just to find out this is all just a big lie and it was really going to be Mirror and Pure all along, and this is just a way to dupe people. That would be awesome. That would be beyond <laughs> awesome. The only card in the set that's actually the same is the Karn card, because at the last second he respawned the entire plane as Pure. <laughs> well, I think I'm going to have to take a pass and crack a pack tonight and call it. It sounds good, dude. Well, we definitely Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Yeah. This was fun. Well, your next two weeks. A substantive podcast. podcast it was. Do we have a title? Our magic hits the yeah. fan. <laughs> All right, guys. Good night. Good night. That's it for episode 23 of The Voice of Seraphim. Magic hits the fan. I'd like to thank my co-host, Eldritch Song, and our guests, Fracture and Prism, for joining us for this episode. Members of the clan can join us for the next recording of The Voice of Seraphim on Saturday, April 30th at 9 p.m. Seraphim time. Until next week, this is Dicax. You've been listening to The Voice of Seraphim. <laughs>